So in that this class is the life and character of Christ, today I'm going to lean a little bit more on life and point out something that I think is absolutely vital that we understand. One of the great doctrines of the restoration is grace for grace. I've asked thousands of Latter-day Saints, do you expect to be in the celestial kingdom? Do you expect to be in the celestial kingdom? And guess what the most common answers are? How many people do you think confidently say, yes? Not many. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I got home from my mission, uh, I went to a, uh, uh, like a mission prep class after having gotten home from my mission uh, that was being taught by my state president, who was Alonzo Gaskill. And this was the, this was the topic that he spoke on. So I don't remember all of it, but I, I do like this topic. And what do you think the, the number one answer is? Do you expect to be in the celestial kingdom? What do you think the average Latter-day Saint would say? Hannah, what would you say? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think so, or I want to be, or maybe, or mm, there's, there's usually a hesitance, right? I'll probably get there. Maybe. So why the hesitance? Let me compare it to right now is kind of like our whole life, like we're so imperfect that we don't want to expect that we're going to get there. But I also feel like we just don't feel like we're good enough. Like we feel like it's something else. Like we need to perfect, be perfect right now. To be I don't see a path from here to there. I don't see a path. Now let me compare that to your path to your degree. How many of you are close to graduating? Do you see a clear path to your degree? Yeah. Is it within reach? Yeah. Was there a time when it didn't seem so? When I first started, like, the pandemic. So when I started my degree, I don't see a clear path to this end. And that scares me. And I, and I, I believe people, when it comes to their salvation, don't understand how to be saved. It is my belief that the average Latter-day Saint does not know how to be saved. They don't know the path. One of the most significant things is that Jesus came down and said, let me show you. And I don't believe we talk enough about this concept that Jesus says, let me show you how to be saved. So tonight I want to show you how to be saved. It's a very interesting twist. Remember that Book of Mormon scripture that says, it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do? Most people love and hate that scripture, right? Why hate it? We present it as if you've got to get all the way you can and then he'll take the rest of the journey. And that is false doctrine. It is by grace that we are saved after all we can do was never intended to say, you are, you're alone, you're on your own. And you've got to get all the way over there, all on your own. And then if you do, he'll take you the rest of the way. 
So allow me to show you the simplicity of how to be saved. Taught by Jehovah, who came to earth through the veil and forgot that he was Jehovah. Sometimes we don't understand that doctrine, that Jesus started at the first step. Jehovah forgot that he was Jehovah and was born with no more knowledge than you had when you were born. And he showed us how to be saved. So turn with me to Doctrine and Covenants. Now, I love Jesus of the Book of Mormon. Sometimes we don't talk enough about what is it that we know about Jesus from the Book of Mormon. Tonight, we're going to expand that and talk about Jesus of the Doctrine and Covenants. The Doctrine and Covenants reveals Christ in a way that no other book does. I want to turn to section 93, Doctrine and Covenants section 93. One of the great, to me, one of the greatest evidences that Joseph Smith was a prophet, because there is no way a 20, what, 4, 25-year-old could possibly have produced section 93. All right, this is an excerpt from the book of John the Baptist. We do not have in our Bible the book of John the Baptist. No record of the book of John the Baptist exists, but clearly it was written. Now, what kind of insight could the book of John the Baptist have? What kind of insight into Christ's character, his teenage years, his youth? What could the book of John the Baptist teach us? Teach us? So the Lord reveals a few excerpts from the book of John the Baptist. And I want to start in verse 12. Section 93, verse 12, and when the Lord wants to emphasize, tell me what he does. Scriptures don't come pre-marked with the really important passages marked. How does God emphasize the most important scripture passages? He repeats them. So watch for the repeated message. Section 93, starting in verse 12. Anyone want to read? Please, Hannah. And I, John, saw that he received a knot of the fullness at first, but received a grace for grace. Okay, so let me emphasize. I saw that Jehovah came through the veil and forgot everything. Jehovah, Jesus, the pre-mortal God, came through the veil and forgot everything. He received not the fullness at the first. He started at the same place you start. And Jesus advanced through a process called grace for grace. Now tell me what that sounds like. Tell me what vision, what comes to mind when I talk about grace for grace. It sounds like an exchange. Grace for grace. Jesus is going to offer something and receive something, and then offer something and then receive something. Starting at zero, you advance grace for grace. Oh, but if you're starting at zero, what grace do you have to offer? Okay, so, and I'm going to clarify what zero is. Okay. We're going to clarify what zero is, because zero isn't zero. Okay. So let's go to 13. Notice the repetition. Anyone else? Hannah, you want to keep reading? 13, Hannah. 
Yep. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. Okay, Jehovah, Jehovah of the pre-existence, Jehovah of the Old Testament, Jehovah that appeared to Moses, Jehovah that was the God of the Old Testament, forgot everything. He received not of the fullness at first, but continued. Notice this one's different. Verse 12 was grace for grace, and now it's grace to grace. So it sounds like two things are happening, right? It sounds like there's an exchange and a stepping. In other words, I, you, grace for grace, and from grace to grace. So Jesus started at zero, and we'll clarify that, and moved forward, grace for grace, grace to grace, until he hit the fullness. Now, verse 14, even though he was a God in premortal life, he was called the Son of God. Why? Hannah, verse 14. One more, if you don't mind. Okay. And thus he was called the Son of God, because he received not of the fullness at first. Meaning he needed help. Jehovah needed help, and so do you. But that's the process. He started at the beginning, advanced grace for grace, grace to grace, until he hit the fullness. Now, why in the world are we being taught this? 19. Ivy, do you mind? 19 and 20. And know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name, and in due time receive his fullness. In other words, you're going to follow this same pattern. Jesus came to show you the pattern, and you're going to follow the pattern. Notice, I love the emphasis. You, I'm going to show you how to worship and who you worship, that you may come into the Father, and in big, bold letters, in due time, you can receive of the fullness. Keep going. Ivy? Okay, same process. Every human being is advancing grace for grace and moving grace to grace. And if you keep doing it, every one of us can hit the fullness. So let's see if we can graph it. I'm a graphing kind of guy, and I want to be able to see this process because it helps me understand how Jesus did it. So allow me to put two principles on the board, two guiding truths. And you'll, as I put these on the board, maybe we'll see grace for grace. Principle number one is verse 27, section 93, sorry, 28. Section 93, verse 28. What is an eternal truth, always true, never deviates from this? What is the truth? So if I obey, I receive light. If I obey, I receive light. Now, the other one is back in section 82. You don't need to turn there. You all know it. Unto whom much is given, much is required. So if I have additional light, more light 
means what? More light comes with what expectation? More light means I am expected to more obedience. So let me explain grace for grace as simply as I can. I receive light. If I obey that light, if I obey that light, I get more light. Now that more light helps me see clearly. If that new light pushes me to increase my obedience, I get more light. So I get more light and now I'm supposed to obey a little bit more. If I do, I get more light. That more light invites me to obey a little bit more. If I do, I get more light. And that more light invites me to obey a little bit more. If I do, I get more light. Do you see what I'm doing? Grace for grace and grace to grace. So let me see if I can graph it. Let me graph life. This axis is going to be light. So this is that point that we've been reading about where I have a fullness of light. God has a fullness of light. Christ got to the point where he had a fullness of light. This axis is obedience. And this would be perfect, godlike, do what Heavenly Father is doing, obedience. And I would guess that these two meet at some point where I have a fullness of light and obey as God obeys. And there is my destination. I'm trying to hit that spot. So let's talk about how it begins. Does anyone come to earth with zero light? There it is. So the beginning isn't zero, is it? No one comes to earth with zero light. We know that. The scriptures testify of that. Call it conscience, call it light of Christ, whatever you want to call it. Everyone starts at light A. But does anyone start at obedience A? Do babies obey? They don't. Babies don't obey. Believe me, I've had 10 of them. <laughs> babies don't obey. But babies are born with a light. So I come into the world with obedience zero light a but that light inside me is showing me the way and if i give it if i yield to the light if i obey the light i was born with what happens the moment i get to obedience a when i live up to the light that i have tell me what happens Tell me what happens when I hit obedience A, I get light B. It's kind of interesting the line you have here because it makes it look like there's a wall. Is that like you can only be so obedient before you get more light? And again, that's why I'm not trying to draw rigid lines here, but the idea is I was born with a light that helps me see. And when I fix what I can see, I get more light. But notice, 
I always have more light than obedience. That is eternally true. I always have more until I finally catch up. But as soon as I hit obedience A, I get light B. So tell me what light B will do. It lightens the path ahead. It shows me some things I need to fix. If I fix those things and step up to obedience B, what happens? I get light C. So I am advancing grace for grace, and I'm climbing this line, grace to grace. It's an exchange. Grace is a dance with Christ. It's not a you go do everything you can and then he'll take over. It's you live up to the light you have and he'll give you a little bit more. Just small little increments. It's a dance with Jesus. Can we dance together? And just show me a little bit at a time. I'm glad we have dance with Heavenly Father as well. I feel like it might be like a further transaction on light because it's like here's some knowledge now obey that and i'm not saying like you know we're not pre-obeying right you know some of the covenants that we make because you probably you know obey it without even knowing it right but i feel like with you when you make covenants it's like here's some light now go do that i'm going to give you some specific instructions and i'm going to give you some help to do it it's exactly right life is an exchange with Christ while we take small steps at a time. Let me illustrate. This class, this room is really easy to illustrate this. Let's suppose this is my life when I come into the world. I'm born with a very small amount of light. Those of you that are at home, yeah, okay, it looks like it got dark. This room is dark. There's just a little bit of light in this room. And this is me at birth. Now I can see enough to see that the desks are a mess. There's enough light in this room to see that I need to fix these desks. And it bothers me that they're a mess, and so I straighten up the desk. I tidy up my life. I fix what I can see. Now tell me what's gonna happen when I fix what I can see with the small amount of light that I have. Just a little bit more. Now, here's what's interesting. It got, uh, it got brighter in this room. Now, bear with the analogy. Now I notice that the pictures are crooked. I notice that there's pictures that are crooked. And it bothers me that they're crooked. Now, let me ask a very important question. Doctrinally speaking, see if you can see the significance of this question. Why didn't I fix the pictures? when I fixed the desks? Because I couldn't see them. I could not see that they were crooked. It wasn't until I fixed the desks that I received the light that allowed me to see the crooked pictures. Now I have a choice. What's my choice? Oh, those pictures are bothering me. Now, here's the reality. This is the love of God. If those pictures bother me, and I don't care about fixing them, 
I just don't want to fix them. I don't want to take the time or the energy to fix them. I don't care if they're crooked. I can see they need to be fixed, but I don't care. Tell me what a loving Heavenly Father will do. You don't want to fix them? What will a loving Heavenly Father do? I won't show them to you anymore. That's what a loving father does. I won't show them to you anymore. If you don't want to fix them, I won't show them to you. You can lose light. If you don't live it, you, he takes it away. But what if I, I'm going to fix them? It bugs me that they're crooked and I'm going to fix them. What happens when I fix them? As soon as I fix them, he says, I'll show you more. Not a lot, not a major change, but a little bit. And now I can see other things that need to be fixed. And so with fixed pictures and straightened desks, I'm going to focus on one more thing. I'm going to focus on the next thing that needs to be fixed. And if I fix that, Tell me what he does. Ever increasing light. And now I see more clearly. There's more things I need to fix. And if I fix that, that's life. You fix what you can see and he gives you more. You choose not to fix what you can see. He takes it away and then you don't have to worry about it. It's all Small little increments of light. What do you want to do with what you have? If you accept, you get more. If you reject, you lose. The way to be saved is simply fix what you can see. Now let me ask, let me give you an observation. Here's the problem. Let me use the pictures, even though the lights are always on. The, the lights are on. Let me use the analogy of the pictures. We live in a church where other people have a tendency to tell you your pictures are crooked. I don't see it. I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. I haven't even fixed the desk. I, I, I haven't fixed the desk yet, and you're telling me my pictures are crooked. And bless people's hearts and our parents and our friends. I have friends that are telling me that my pictures are crooked and they're judging me and they're condemning me and they're saying things about me. And I don't know what they're talking about because I don't see what they're talking about. In this church, there is a real dilemma and that is you can only fix what you can see. So let me ask you an honest question. Is there anyone in this room that can't fix what you know is broken in your life? I think if we're all honest, what's the answer to that question? I can fix it. I can fix what I know is broken. If I can't see the pictures are broken, does God expect me to fix them? He doesn't expect you, expect you to fix something you can't see is broken. But everything that you can see, I guarantee is within your reach of fixing. All you have to do right now is fix that thing. 
You don't have to fix things you can't see. Just fix the thing you can. And when you do, he will give you light. And someday you will see the pictures and you will understand, oh my gosh, they've been crooked this whole time and I didn't even know it. But now I know how to fix it. You can't fix a problem you can't see. So the Lord shows them to you in increments. And all you have to do is fix the things you know are broken. Now, there's a couple things about this. Actually, you know what? Let's read some scriptures first. Let's do the scriptures first, and then we'll talk about some, some observations. Let's do 2 Nephi chapter 28, verse 30. Here is an absolute beautiful description of how to be saved. It is no more complicated than what you're about to read. This is how to be saved. Anyone want to read? 2 Nephi 28, 30. And blessed are those who keep, who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more, and from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away, even that which they That's it. That's the process. Now, 99.8% of this planet is not LDS. So what's happening all over this planet? Tell me what is happening in every one of those lives. They have a little bit of light, and if they fix the things that they can see, what's happening? They're getting a little bit more light. Is this process happening only in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? No, it's happening everywhere with every human being. Anyone on this planet who is obeying the light that they have is going to get more light. And eventually, what's going to happen? Eventually, they'll get to the end. Anyone on this planet who is refusing to fix the things that they can see with the light they have is losing that light. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Is it, let's suppose, let's suppose I got, I didn't want to fix the pictures and so I lost the light. And I come back to here. Can I have a do-over? And if I fix the desks, will this come back on? Sorry. If I fix the desks, will this come back on? And this time, will I have another chance to fix the pictures? And if the second time I fix the pictures, will I get more light? It's never over. So let me give you a list of observations that might help you understand this process. First of all, I don't believe anyone goes to zero in this life. I don't believe anyone goes to zero in this life. Let me give you my evidence. Do you remember the apostasy? and the tree that represented Israel? Did the tree die during the apostasy and have to be replanted? No. 
Turn with me to Jacob chapter 5 to that allegory of the tree. Now, this is, <clears throat> this is like the whole house of Israel. This is like the history of Israel. And there comes a point where all the fruit of the trees go bad. That's the apostasy period. So there's a point where everything goes bad. Verse 29, a long time passed. Verse 30, all sorts of fruit did cumber the tree. Verse 32, none of it was good. That's the apostasy. And yet during the apostasy, what does the servant say? Verse 34. Now I want, I, I just would appeal to compare this to a human life. Someone read verse 34. What does the servant say to the Lord about the tree that is the house of Israel during the apostasy? Jail 34. And the servant said unto his master, Behold, because thou didst graft in the branches of the wild olive tree, they have nourished the roots, but they are alive and they have not perished. Wherefore thou beholdest that they are yet good. If you think about it, what happened during the apostasy that could not and would not have happened if Israel was completely dead? We got a Bible during the apostasy, didn't we? We got a Constitution of the United States and a Declaration of Independence during the apostasy. How in the world could those things have happened if Israel was totally dead? Now compare that to a human life. Is there anyone on this planet that you would say has zero light? I don't believe so. I believe everyone has some light. And no matter how much you've rejected it, no matter how bad you've been, could you from this starting point fix the desks and get more light? Anyone on this planet who wants to live up to the light that they have, which no one loses, I believe, in this life, can start the process at any moment. Every one of us can keep going. Now, how long is it going to take? Let's be honest. Let's go back to section 93. Another observation. How long did it take Jesus? Let me ask this question. How long is the delay between getting more light and increasing his obedience? How long did he delay? From the moment he got more light, how long did it take to increase his obedience? No delay, right? Do you agree? If there's a delay, there's sin. And there's no sin in his life. So how, how quickly is Jesus moving up this path? As fast as is, 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 is possible, even with a God. As soon as he gets more light, he immediately increases his obedience. And then he gets more light, and then he increases his obedience. Then he gets more light, and then he increases his, no delay at all. So how long did it take him going that fast? Section 93, 12, does he have a fullness? No. 13, does he have a fullness? No. 14, he doesn't have a fullness. Go to 16. What does John see in 16? I, John, beheld that he received a fullness. Now look at verse 15. What landmark in his life might tell us when Jesus received the fullness of light? Josh? And he was how old? 30. It took Jehovah 
going lightning speed, how many years to get to a fullness? 30. So when he was, during his ministry, was he Jehovah again? Yes. Prior to that, did he remember everything that he knew in premortal life? No. But it took Jesus 30 years. Now, why do you say it like that, Abraham? What's the point? If it took Jehovah going that fast, 30 years, what's the point? You're not going to do it anytime soon. You and I are not going to hit the fullness in this lifetime. It's not going to take me 30 years. It's not going to take me 300 years. It's going to take me a lot longer than that. And that's the good news. So with that good news, let me give you what I think is the greatest promise in the scriptures. And this is where I want to grab Hannah and say, are you hearing this? Are you listening to this promise? 2 Nephi 31, 20. Let's suppose I'm advancing slowly, but grace for grace. What if I'm doing my best to fix the things that I can say? I'm not going to work on everything. I can't. But I'm going to work on one thing at a time. I'm going to get better at this one thing. And then when I fix that one, I'll work in another thing. And it might take me a little bit of time, but I am in the process of fixing things and growing grace for grace. Ready? Here's the promise. Now, here's why I think it's significant. Normally, when a prophet gives a promise, it's good enough. Lehi says, obey and you'll prosper in the land. Okay, that's good enough. Occasionally, Jesus puts his name on a promise. Only one time in the scriptures that I can find does the Father come down and put his name on a promise. This is the promise. This is not from Nephi. This is not from Jesus. This is from the Father. Ready? 2 Nephi chapter 31, verse 20. Let's read it slowly. All right, sorry, let me get there. 2 Nephi 31, 20. Wherefore, you must press forward. Can everyone do that? Can everyone in this room just move forward in a forward direction? Press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Love of God, love of all men, and hope. We've talked about all those, haven't we? Hope, first commandment, second commandment. Hope, trusting that he will bless me. Hope, first commandment, second commandment. I can do that. Hope, first commandment, second commandment. I can do that. Now, ready for this sentence? Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end. Now, that has to be death because we know it's going to take a lot longer beyond death. So let me say it again. If you are moving forward, grace for grace, when you die, even though you got a long distance ahead of you, what does the rest of this verse say? If you are moving forward, grace for grace, when you die, thus saith the Father. 
ye shall have eternal life. I need you to feel that. If you are pressing forward, even if it's slowly, but I'm getting better. I'm slowly fixing the things that I know I need to work on. I struggle with my pride and I know it. Okay, I'm going to work on pride. I'm going to work on my pride. And I slowly am working on the things I know I need to fix. If you're doing that when you die, thus saith the Father, you're going to have eternal life. No one falls off the path in the world to come. That same spirit which hath power to possess your bodies when you go out of this world, that same spirit will have powers to possess your bodies. If you're moving forward, when you die, will you continue to move forward? And if you have enough time, which you do, will you get to the top? So let me ask the question again. Do you expect to be in the celestial kingdom? Are you willing to press forward? However slowly, are you committed to pressing forward and getting a little bit better as often as you can? I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. I may not have gone very far when I die, but I am committed to moving forward. Thus, saith the Father, you will have eternal life. Do you see how to be saved? It's not massive leaps. It's one little thing at a time. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us knows the one thing he would have me fix right now. Every one of us knows there's one thing I should be working on. He reminds me of it daily, doesn't he? He points it out often. And I know exactly how to fix it. Now, fix it. And then fix the next thing. And then fix the next thing. And trust that if I keep doing this, thus saith the Father, you will have eternal life. That's how to be saved. Just move forward a little bit. Now, let me throw one more caution in. If you don't understand this process, it will appear to you that you're getting worse, right? Do you see why? Why will it appear that I'm getting worse? Every time I try to be good, I see something broken. No money, no problem. Now, what's the reality? You're seeing new problems because you just received more light. Seeing problems in your life is not a sign that you're getting worse. Does the devil see problems in his life? 
He does not. He has lost all light and does not see any problems at all. If you can see problems in your life, you have light. And if you can see new problems in your life, it's not because you're getting worse. It's because you're getting better and you're seeing progress. So I would invite you to look back over your life. Are you the same person you were five years ago? Are you still fixing the same problems you were five years ago? Or have you grown? Do you love a little bit deeper? Are you a little more patient? Have you become kinder? Have you grown up? Do you have a more grown up attitude than you did five years ago? Do you love goodness more than you did before? Do you hunger for the scriptures more than you did five years ago? Look back on your life and see how the last five years have changed. And if you're better, if you are better today than you were five years ago, then where will you be five years from now and five years from then? And if you are progressing, when you die, I'm going to say it as many times as I can. If ye are pressing forward, when you die, thus saith the Father, you will have eternal life. It's not a race. And you're not going to make it in this life. But if you're in the process, you're going to be saved. Elder Ballard made an interesting comment. He said, life isn't over for any Latter-day Saint until they are safely dead. That's an odd phrase. Life isn't over for any Latter-day Saint until they are safely dead. Meaning what? Die moving forward. You are safely dead. I had the privilege of speaking. I was teaching seminary in Thatcher, Arizona. I was teaching seminary in Thatcher, Arizona, and I had the privilege of speaking at the funeral of one of my students who died on her 16th birthday. Everyone who knew her knew she was moving forward. She was progressing, sometimes slowly, but she was progressing. They asked me to speak at her funeral. I stood up and with every ounce of confidence I could feel from the Holy Ghost, I said. Now, the student body was asked to sing in the choir. So I am at the podium looking at the parents and all my students are behind me in the choir seats. And I felt very inspired to say, I testify that Karen Neatfield will be in the celestial kingdom. And I quoted 2 Nephi chapter 31. I guarantee that she was moving forward when she died and she will continue to move forward. And I believe we can all hear the voice of the Father say right now, she will have eternal life. So I turned around, looked at my students and said, will you? I knew that girl was going to be in the celestial kingdom. 
She was far from perfect at 16, but she was moving forward. I know you get down on yourself because you are far from perfect, but I believe your very presence in this room tonight says, I am trying very hard to move forward. I am working on fixing things that I know I need to fix. I am trying to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more forgiving, a little more humble, a little bit more prayerful, a little more connected to God. If you are moving forward, however slowly, thus saith the Father, you will have eternal life. Have confidence in the plan. You can make it. I testify, you can make it. The only question is, do you want to? Do you want to fix the pictures? I testify that he came to show us the simple way to be saved. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.